Hello. Hello. Welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? I'm Colin Kennedy. I'm Jenny Carlson. Your recap and analysis podcast for Cobra Kai, Karate Kid, and all things Miyagi-verse. Yeah, I mean, we just are two nerds who can't stop talking about this, and we're looking for other people who want to hear us and want to talk to us about these shows. Exactly. And today we're here to start in earnest our recap of Cobra Kai season one. Yes, we are beginning. What are we doing this for, like in terms of Cobra Kai? Why did we find it so striking? Okay, so I enjoy Cobra Kai because it's a great inversion of the Karate Kid story, and I'm always a sucker for that. That's something I always enjoy is when you can kind of flip the script and invert things, and that's kind of exactly what happens. Um, you know, we'll get into the specifics in a, in a little bit. There's a lot of parallels, mm-hmm. but then there's a lot of things that are kind of turned upside down. I just think that's the fun in following something like this where you're picking it apart to see, oh, this is different, this is the same, that's a callback, that's something new, that's something novel, that's something I didn't expect, but I but I love it anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm this into Cobra Kai. I mean, we'll figure it out because we're going to be talking about it for 10 episodes, five hours. And, and like, we watched this, we watched The Karate Kid, and then I think we watched episodes one and two. Do we watch them right after it, or do we watch the next day? Yeah, well, I think we watched, like, at least the first couple, maybe even the first four the next day. Mm-hmm. Because um, it is an easy binge. Even though the binging format is fairly new, I I think it's something that's fairly well understood at this point, mm-hmm. how to make your show bingeable, and it does free you up creatively quite a bit. Oh, you mean for the, them to be able to tell the story? The way they want to, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. That, that, I mean, yeah. they talk, you know, they talk in interviews about, like, them not even considering it a series. They consider it just a long movie. Right, yeah. And a lot of the pacing and the structure... Definitely bears that out, which we'll see in these first couple of episodes. Yeah, I mean, like, for me, it's just, it was so... So I wasn't going to watch Cobra Kai, and in fact, when the preview for Cobra Kai came on YouTube, um, I became enraged and vowed not to watch it because Johnny Lawrence was, for me, the face of evil. I mean, I knew that the that Martin Cove was the real bad guy in The Karate Kid, the guy who led the kids astray, but Johnny was, like, such a face of threat when I was small, that the thought that they were going to like rehabilitate him into a hero and the fear in this remake landscape, not necessarily that all remakes are crappy. I wouldn't say that, but just like the fear that there would be some revisionism in terms of how dire Johnny's personality traits were. So I was just like, I'm not watching this. And then I was at a party and my buddy Dan was talking about it with another friend and he was like, oh no, it's really, really good. And I was like, well, Dan says it's good. So I'm totally a product of old fashioned viral marketing, friend to friend. Mm -hmm. Um, I had sworn off the show and someone was like, no, you should give it a shot. Did rewatching Karate Kid just before watching Cobra Kai make you feel any better about the possibility of what Cobra Kai could be? No. So, and here's the other thing that we've already said is that we were talking and I was like, I guess I'm going to have to watch this Karate Kid spinoff because, you know, if Dan says it's good, then like, it's going to be good. And, um, we, we were talking about it and that's how I found out that you hadn't seen the Karate Kid. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, fine. But, but at that point I was going to watch Cobra Kai no matter what. And I was just like, 
fine, we'll rewatch The Karate Kid. I mean, this is like making me reread the first five books of the Bible or something, but we can do that. Don't you already know? And so then rewatching The Karate Kid before Cobra Kai just made me remember how much I loved it, and I would and I would love to have more of it. I was in the tank, but like, you know, then I was just stoked. Okay. Let's leap right into episode one of Cobra Kai, Ace Degenerate. So, we open on the 1984 tournament. Yes, December 19th, 1984, All-Valley Karate Tournament, under-18 karate tournament, at the moment when Daniel LaRusso walks out and they announce that he's going to fight. Yeah, they do the, the drop again, the... Daniel LaRusso's gonna fight? But we, but it's not exactly the same as the original cut. No, they use footage and B-roll that um, was in the archives that, that that didn't go into the final cut of the Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. We also get an on-screen score, which kind of helps drive the point home. Yeah, and then at the beginning, Daniel's just wailing on Johnny because he had come out ready to go. And this, mm-hmm. the shots that they're using in the movie, Johnny is huge like he's just so physically imposing Mm -hmm. and in this one i think they've arranged it in such a way that daniel's advantages are more underscored they also have used shots where i think these are this is the sequence where you can see billy zopka's parents in the audience Mm -hmm. um so that's exciting for them and then they show johnny kind of coming back and all the shots are more sympathetic to johnny now johnny's about to make a choice Mm -hmm. to target daniel's injury and then Daniel has no choice but to use the crane kick on Johnny, which he does, and Johnny goes down. As Johnny is lying on the mat, we use this to transition to present day, where Johnny uh, starts his morning routine in his pigsty of an apartment. Yes, he wakes up in bed. His nightstand has a bottle of Coors Banquet mm-hmm. and what looks like maybe ketchup packets. Yeah, he's clearly living the bachelor lifestyle. He's n- not <laughs> doing anything specific to take care of himself. Kudos to whatever set dresser made sure his bed was totally wrinkled and <laughs> he's super he's super scruffy. Uh he has fried bologna for breakfast. Although he does have eighties movies on all the time, which is pretty great. Yeah, like well, you know, he walks through his apartment and it looks like basically he's had the same mm-hmm. the same stuff on his walls since he went to college and bought all the posters that you buy. We see as he's getting ready that he's got a a picture of a kid on his refrigerator. Oh, that's right. It's an old picture like 10 years ago or something and the kid's Mm -hmm. dressed up in soccer clothes and little boy. On his way out to do uh, whatever handyman work Johnny does, we get our first encounter with Miguel. There's no pretense to Miguel. No, Miguel has no pretense, and Johnny Johnny also has no pretense insofar as that he's just pissed True. off and wants to be left alone. Johnny's like, great, more immigrants. And Miguel's yeah. like, Actually, we're from Riverside. So we see that we've got an immigration theme going on, just like the Karate Kid. That's true. Miguel is definitely a different kind of character than we're used to seeing. He's relentlessly chipper. He kind of lets the racism just kind of slide off. And, you know, when he encounters Miguel, Miguel's like trying to get Johnny to recycle. He's like, this is where your recycling goes. And Johnny just dumps it all in the trash. Yeah, he's intensely earnest. and And Johnny's like, the only good thing about being here is I don't have to talk to anybody. You know, Johnny's a loner. He doesn't want to know anybody. You don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner, daddy. A rebel. He's the next generation's Archie Bunker, and he's angry about it. He, like, speeds out of his apartment complex, which looks not dissimilar from Daniel LaRusso's apartment complex in The Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. He wants to get in his Firebird, which I'm sure, I don't know what year that is, but it's a really old Firebird paint peeling off. 
and he peels out of that apartment complex and speeds down the road. And then that is when we get our first instance of Daniel LaRusso intruding on Johnny's life, the first time in the form of a billboard. His nemesis, his from mm-hmm. the 80s, Daniel LaRusso. Our first glimpse that Daniel's doing all right for himself in this updated timeline. So Daniel LaRusso is in the billboard doing a karate kick. And he's standing there grinning in a suit next to a car. LaRusso Auto Automotive or Auto Group, we kick the competition. And Johnny's just like, another one! They're setting up Johnny's already pissed off. This guy's everywhere. He's ubiquitous. And Johnny puts in his Ray-Bans. Yes. And wants to feel cool. He's cruising, essentially, at this point. Yeah, he's shifted into cruising. He's no longer harried by Miguel. Now he just wants to cruise and feel cool. Yes. Daniel LaRusso popped up for a minute. For Johnny, no time has passed since high school. Pretty much. I mean, Mentally, anyway. Well, I think that Johnny's, like, weary, but all all of his attitudes are the same. Yes. Yeah. And so, like, he hits on this jogger girl who looks like she's in her 20s. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, ugh, leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, creep. And Johnny's like, whatever. Puts his Ray-Bans back on and then just sort of drives off to his job, which is working as a fix-it guy, working as a handyman in big, fancy L.A. houses. We're, we're setting up some parallels to the Karate Kid. This time, Johnny, the mentor, is also just happens to be a handyman. Uh, which provides him some useful skills later on when he has to remodel and set up his dojo again. But uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But the other thing about that is that, like, you know, he's got this sort of micro, like, dirty jobs gig. I mean, yeah, yeah. they show him, like, cleaning out dead rats and doing all this stuff. But him, him having to do all this physical activity is, is one way they can sort of... It's sort of like Ray in Star Wars, where she's always... Uh, you know, she's scavenging and, and climbing up and down the... The crash star destroyer, so she has skills. Um, in this case, Johnny is always lifting and, and doing stuff with his body, so that's how he could have managed to keep himself in shape, even though he drinks coarse banquets and eats chips and bologna sandwiches. Yeah, I mean, the the show is taking its time letting everything unfold. It is paced more like a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say luxuriating, but we're definitely laying all the little breadcrumbs of Johnny's life so that we can pick up on all of them later. Johnny gets himself fired on this day that we're yeah. watching. Yeah, so he gets into an extended argument with this, this lady who is... Uh, <laughs> who is just there to antagonize Johnny, it seems like. Well, she wanted him to hang the TV on the wall opposite the door, but there are two doors. Oh, no, it's totally on him for not getting clarification. But... Well, I mean, in fairness, she's also being insufferable, and we're learning very quickly that while Johnny wants to defuse the situation, he doesn't have much patience nor much tact. Exactly. And and he gets fired because he says the word quit bitching at me in the in the, in the predicate. And she's like, what did you just call me? Mm-hmm. And they use all this stuff with Johnny going to work and then getting fired as, as a way of setting up the feeling that we're in the San Fernando Valley. Like, and he's driven yes. through like, Encino. And now here he is at this big scenic overlook on the phone, standing next to his firebird on the phone with his, I guess, boss getting fired for saying the word bitch into that lady. Zopka has a lot of great deliveries in this show in general. And then in... He does this neat thing where he just kind of he just kind of lets his voice get exhausted. You know what? I hated this damn job anyway. Which I think is a nice touch. Yeah, his voice is sort of an underrated like a he, he can use his face and his eyes, but his voice is really good at showing the different emotional shifts that he goes through as a character. Mm-hmm. Tired of being angry and raging, and he's just like, "Give me the money you owe me." Gets in his car, 
He's getting ready to drive off, turns on the radio, mm-hmm. and who's there? Banzai! LaRusso Automotive. So Daniel continues to hound Johnny throughout the day through the public media. As Johnny's day gets worse and worse and Daniel keeps popping up, mm-hmm. it's irritating. He switches the channel and drives away. So the next scene, we follow Johnny to the Minute Mart, where he <laughs> is with the clerk who is not named on screen, but IMDb has him listed as Nestor. N- Nestor. Yeah. And He's played by Vas Sanchez. This show is rapidly taking on this Simpsons-like quality of it not necessarily even being about the main characters, but about the town itself and all the different people that keep popping up. Well, it's also kind of like got this Breaking Bad feeling to it. But anyway, we'll get to that. So Johnny's in there wanting a slice of pizza. Because where else are you going to go after you've been fired and you've had the worst day? But That's to, true. But to the Mini Mart to get yourself... You're going to need pizza. a pizza and you're going to need a six or a Coors banquet. That's right. I mean, that's how I spend my bad days. Nestor is like, Johnny's like that one for his pizza. And Nestor gets it out and doesn't even have like a paper towel or anything to hold. He's just like right. touching his fingers, his bare hand over the cheese pizza. Mm-hmm. And Johnny's just like, ugh, and whatever. And then while that's all happening, Miguel comes in. You know, Miguel has addressed Nestor in Spanish. Nestor's responded. Then Johnny assumes that... that then Nestor doesn't speak any English. Right. And um, it's like asking Miguel to speak to Nestor in Spanish. One of the crappier things you can do to someone. Yeah, there's a little bit of back and forth here. They uh, banter. Johnny is not making any friends today. He's clearly shutting everyone out. He retreats outside. We get our first glimpse of... Uh, well, I mean, the car full of bullies rolls up, right? A car full of bullies rolls up. Johnny's got his pizza. He's walking outside. Mm-hmm. This fancy like Jeep thing rolls up, and all these kids pour out of it. Right. There's like, there's like a tall kind of pretty boy. There's loudmouth enabler and two other sort of faceless guys. And yeah. Johnny can hear them talking about how they got their fake IDs ready to get some booze. They duck into the Minute Mart. Johnny's still outside. He gets accosted by the uh, the homeless woman who uh, considers this parking lot her turf. Yeah, Lynn, played by Susan Gallagher. Yes, but just as Miguel and the punk kids come out and start picking on Miguel. Well, they the... pick on Miguel because he outed them for their fake IDs, right? That's right. So he, in his chipper, happy way, greeted them as being his age. How do you do, fellow kids? And they, and they, you know, come outside, haze him, dump Pepto-Bismol on him. That Pepto-Bismol was for his grandma. He tries to say that. Nope. So they decide they're going to call him Rhea for diarrhea. uh Uh-huh. And are kicking the crap out of him. Once Miguel hits Johnny's car, Johnny, at that point, finally decides to intervene. Yeah, but you could see on Johnny's face that he wanted to intervene before that. Like, he was like... Yeah, they were really obnoxious kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, Johnny's just looking for an excuse at this point, right? Yeah, and also we know that, like, when Johnny bullied someone, he felt like they had a, a clear, like, they had clearly mor- morally injured him, like, mm-hmm. back in the Karate Kid days. Mm-hmm. But in this case, these dudes are just being jerks. And so they violate his code. They're mean to the kid that was nice to him. Yeah. And they hit his car. Yeah. I mean, they kind of deserve it. Uh, Johnny then, yeah, Johnny then starts wailing on these kids. He does this great... A uh, little move that I've seen Jackie Chan do before where he, the first thing that he does is he 
does this super high kick and then he kind of grabs his hamstring because he because he hurt himself going from zero to 60 immediately yeah yeah but then he doesn't seem to have any trouble for the rest of the fight well and like they were saying at comic-con that that they had the stunt guy there Mm -hmm. they showed a lot of this like it as almost as a mono scene they had the stunt guy there and they had him do it and they were like well let's see what billy can do Mm -hmm. and then billy kicked higher than the stunt guy and they were like okay we won't have any problems i mean i think he's kept in pretty good shape but he worked with chad landers and hero Koda, the stunt coordinator mm-hmm. also to bring him up to a truly fighting speed but <laughs> i don't think he needed much work and all the while this is happening he starts wailing on these kids because you know he told him that you pick the wrong day to piss off the wrong guy mm-hmm. and miguel is just watching like oh my god one of the things that happens is the kid uh mentions that he cleaned his dad's septic tank kind of establishing that you know, everyone in this world definitely kind of knows each other. There's all sorts of, like, this spider web of relationships happening, which is something that's really nice that you can only do in a TV show where you're going to see these characters over and over again. Johnny kicks the crap out of those kids. Mm-hmm. And then sirens wail. The cops run up. And Miguel's like, it's not his fault. And then they pepper spray Johnny in the face. He's lucky he didn't get killed. That's probably because he's a white guy. I was going to say, the next time we see Johnny, it's morning. And he's walking out of the police station, squinting at the sun. Fortunately, his face isn't like really swollen from the pepper spray or anything. I guess Johnny can just shrug that kind of thing off. But yeah, that's the next time we see our hero. Blinking off the final after effects of the pepper spray. And heads home. Somehow he picked up his Firebird, I guess, from the Mini Mart. And Miguel is waiting for him. Miguel is back. He's very grateful for Johnny saving him last night. He asks Johnny... So last night, was that like Taekwondo or Jiu-Jitsu or MMA or something? And uh, Johnny admits that no, it was just... It's karate. Old school karate. Which is a, a great touch and kind of a fun acknowledgement of how far you know, martial arts movies and TV shows have kind of come since the original karate wave of the 80s. Johnny's an old school guy, and so he listens to 80s music, he watches 80s movies, and he fights like it's the 80s. He does. and and But at this point, like, this is an important scene because Miguel is like, do you think you can teach me that? And Johnny, like Mr. Miyagi did when Mr. Miyagi defended Daniel from Johnny and his friends, the bullies, and Daniel asked Mr. Miyagi to teach him, and Mr. Miyagi first refuses the call. And now Miguel is doing the same thing, and Johnny refuses the call. Johnny doesn't want to see Miguel. Johnny's just like, whatever, man. Like, I'm sorry I got involved. Just get out of my way. Goes into his apartment, and there's a woman, like a healthcare worker, sitting on his couch watching court TV. A man who looks like, and indeed is, Ed Asner, is rifling through his fridge. That's right. So, in an excellent casting decision... I mean, if you're looking for 80s actors of a certain age to come in and play Johnny's dad, you can't get much better than... Ed Asner is a great choice here. He's gruff, he's irascible, he's Johnny's stepdad. It's a pretty uncomfortable scene altogether because he's yelling at his nurse, he's uh, lusting over Johnny's mom, he's... We see there's a woman that Johnny has a picture of, and in this moment... This character, whose name is Sid, uh, leans over and looks at the picture, and it's obvious that he's Johnny's stepdad. And Johnny's like, yeah, you're the stepfather of the year. And Sid's like, yeah, well, that means a lot coming from a world-class daddy like you. And that's where he confirms that the kid on the fridge is Robbie, Johnny's son. And Johnny's like, what are you doing here, Sid? Sid is there to buy himself out of Johnny's life by leaving him a fat check for X amount of dollars. We don't 
never really get a confirmation of that. It's but pretty obvious. The that, intent is clear. Well, it's pretty obvious that um, that Sid is never approved of Johnny. And like, right. you know, before giving him the check, he's like saying a litany of reasons why Johnny sucks, mm-hmm. including an incident at Applebee's. Yeah, like he's like a, that incident, which we don't know what. What is that? What a is mention th- of an Applebee's incident. <laughs> I hope we get a flashback in season two, so we can find out exactly what that was. I'm sure that uh, over at Archive of Our Own, they have already written a I'm, story of the Applebee's incident. And um, and you know, Sid here is introducing us to a new kind of absent father, right? That's right. Like we know that all the the protagonists have lost in, in the Karate Kid have, are working through some kind of loss. And for Johnny, maybe one of his big problems is not having had a dad that made him feel loved. The next time we see Johnny, he's still kind of uh, wallowing in his own misery. He's watching Iron Eagle on cable TV. He's chasing beer with whiskey. He's chasing beer with whiskey. In the middle of Iron Eagle, Louis Gossett Jr. is giving this speech to the kid about him having the touch. And it's resonating with Johnny. And Johnny's starting to kind of flashback and he's it's resonating with johnny you know johnny feels like he had the touch at some point yeah and that you know he's uh he's just he's just letting it all wash over him um, and and like billy sopka's acting is so good because if you would told me that i would be watching some dude some bully from an 80s movie sitting in his apartment watching iron eagle and weeping as lewis gossett Junior's character ejects and tells this kid he's got the touch. Mm-hmm. Like I would be like, sure, man. But he's so good at this. Like he's yeah. like crying. He's devastated. But he's he's Johnny Lawrence crying, so he's not like overwrought. But he's sitting there, right. flashing back on his moments of greatness, and just when he's like kind of achieving some emotional catharsis, bonsai. <laughs> yes. So once again, Daniel interrupts in the form of a commercial. You know, it's the situation where you're watching cable tv and suddenly the commercial comes on and it's way louder than what you were watching yep at the moment that he throws his bottle at the tv like daniel's holding up a little bonsai tree after mm-hmm. having karate chopped all the all the prices down to lower prices mm-hmm. so they kick the competition at Larisso automotive johnny elvis is the tv and what is there to do but get in your firebird while in a drunken fugue state yeah don't try this at home kids so <laughs> He's remembering the good times. He's remembering Allie. He's remembering basically all the clips from Karate Kid 1. Yeah. Uh, you know. He's you know. basically having a mini flashback of the Karate Kid, but from Johnny Lawrence's perspective. He's remembering it so hard that he's physically experiencing it when he gets kicked in the head and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Which is really fun. But this is like interesting because, you know, he's had all this crap happen to him. Mm-hmm. He's had all this, this bullshit happen to him, some of which is of his own making. Because he doesn't have the tools to deal with a jerk lady with her TV. He did defend this kid, but did it in such a way that he got thrown in jail. Just when he's flashing back about the karate that he used to defend Miguel and his car, Daniel appears. And so this triggers this cavalcade of flashbacks. People have said to me, so, you know, Johnny Lawrence, like, how could he have always harbored this grudge toward Daniel LaRusso? At the end, I thought that they had moved on. And Mm -hmm. my response to that is like... Daniel's personal transformation doesn't necessarily equal Johnny's personal transformation. Right. Like what it, what he says at the end of The Karate Kid, which is, you're all right, LaRusso, good match, doesn't preclude the fact that Johnny still hasn't worked out what it means to have lost that match for himself. This is someone who, up until that point, 
has had a lot handed to him. We'll kind of get into what that means a little bit later in the series, but he's definitely not accustomed to losing. And so when he's handed his first great loss, even though 30 years have passed in real life in these characters' heads, this all may have well just happened last week. Well, see, I mean, I, I agree with that, but I also don't know if I agree that that's the case here. Because I think that they do a really strong job of giving us a lot of signs that Johnny has had other things happen that haunt him. But the real problem is that his mind can't work through the really hard things that are kind of of his making. He can just flash back to this moment when he went from being the top dog to being the underdog. Johnny chooses to drive to the All Valley Sports Arena, Mm -hmm. the site of his last great defeat, since that's seems to be fresh on his mind. Daniel is always haunting him with these moments of extreme failure. Mm -hmm. So, of course, it makes sense that he would go back to the spot where he lost it all. Yes. He parks outside the All Valley Arena thing, and he's standing there, and they do this flashback to a scene that was cut from the Karate Kid, but then put into Karate Kid 2. Oh, yeah. Which is the moment in which his bad sensei, John Kreese, leader of the Cobra Kai's, beats the crap out of him and breaks his trophy because he didn't get first place. Come on, he can't worry. Mind your business. They do a really neat cinematic trick here where Johnny is literally watching the flashback in front of his eyes. They kind of do a uh, kind of a blurry over the shoulder of the scene from the reverse angle. It's a really cool shot. But then Johnny's fugue is interrupted when his Firebird is trashed by an SUV when he runs up to see what happened. He finds a trio of hysterical teens in the back. Yeah, three screaming girls. The driver wasn't looking. Yeah. Um, she wasn't paying attention. The driver, there's a girl in the, in the, in the passenger seat, and there's one in the back seat. Mm-hmm. And Johnny's, like, banging on all the windows saying, open the door. Like, what yeah. the hell? Yeah. And He's he, the one who looks like the maniac now. Yeah, now he looks like a total maniac. And, of course, they weren't going to open the doors. This is not a state in which you're going to swap insurance information. The one face he lands on as he's like banging on the door and screaming is the girl in the back seat who looks terrified and is crawling away to the other other side of the seat. So then they speed off, leaving him there. And he can't start his beloved Firebird, so he has to call the tow truck. Uh, a nice Easter egg there is it's Pat's towing. Yes, it is. Um, and uh, they tell him the only place that they're going to take it is LaRusso Automotive. They don't tell him. They just kind of hand him the card. And as they peel away, he sees it on the invoice that he'll have to go to LaRusso's Automotive Complete to get his with a beloved Firebird back. business card with Daniel LaRusso's face on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, he's all over that place. He goes up to the very imposing LaRusso Automotive building. Even the LaRusso font is very reminiscent of, like, 80s... You know, that kind of 80s sheen to it. Yep. And he can, and he looks like the damn Unabomber. Like when he oh, walks true. in. He, he's in, he's in, he, uh, he kind of slinks into LaRusso Automotive in his Unabomber chic with his hoodie pulled up and his sunglasses on. Yep. yep. Uh, he, I mean, he does have his own manifesto. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Well, not, he hasn't yet realized his manifesto yet. Oh, that's he's true. He's in search of a manifesto. Mm-hmm. And he walks in, like, clearly trying to avoid everyone. Everyone knows this. Like, I know this feeling when I go home to, like, to my hometown and I, I love everyone there but if i'm just trying to get to the mall to like pick something up like i will i will slink around and hide mm-hmm. just to avoid the awkward he walks in and these two dudes come up to him like how are you doing sir what how's it going and you know the, the main guy that we see here at first is is brett ernst is louis larusso we don't know yes. that yet but um and then he like walks through to the to the service area finally being like nope 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 
and tries to get his car from the nice lady who works there. And it doesn't go so well for him. There's a little bit of back and forth between him and the very nice clerk, played by Quadulin Brown. She wants but, to help him. Well, yeah, it's it's that great awkwardness of everyone's wanting to help. And Johnny's just, you know, he's a man alone. He refuses help or charity from anyone. As he's slinking his way back out, who should he run into but obviously his nemesis, Daniel LaRusso. Wow, Ralph Macchio always looks great. He's a real clothes horse. He's, you know. <laughs> Johnny Lawrence, I, I, I knew it was you. Holy, how the hell are you? Hey, man. Gives him a hug, you know, the so, ultimate, like, non-consensual, hey, we're friends hug. It's a complete 180 reversal. Like, now we're on Daniel's turf. He's the king of the ring, the boss of the mountain. Johnny, he's the one on the outside looking in. Yeah. Daniel has no idea that Johnny's had the worst couple of days of his life since the All-Valley Tournament. Sure. He has no idea that Johnny, you know, his car is this, POS Firebird. Mm -hmm. He has no idea that Johnny could at all be bothered by him. Right. Yeah. So he like pulls over, you know, his cousin Louie and then also Anoush. Anoush, who is played by Dana Dude, and like just begins to rib on Johnny and talk about yeah. back in the day. And, you know, and he's like, Oh, there's a guy whose ass you kicked. Listen, it was a really close match. If you want to get technical, I kicked his face. <laughs> Giving him, <laughs> yeah, and John, and you can tell that well, like we we already know Johnny has an anger problem, and he's just like trying not to kill Daniel. Right, and he's like, it was an illegal kick. The backslide starts almost immediately. Yeah, right. And it's pretty great because Daniel is still very much the kid he was in high school. Like he wants to impress people. He wants to please people to some degree and even even his you know mortal enemy he wants to be he wants to be gracious he wants to be the bigger person and you know he has the ability to do it so he's going to at least try yep it's just like with the okinawa trip or mr miyagi's little trees it's like daniel will kids two and three yes exactly daniel will gladly give everything he has just to make someone happy yeah daniel daniel's a sweet kid and the thing is that while it's easy for him to to show goodwill toward Johnny, it feels a little condescending. You know, he doesn't know. When he sees that what Johnny's car needs, he's like... It's on the house. Johnny's like... No way, man. I don't need your charity. No, no, no. You'll be doing me a favor. He agrees to go ahead and comp Johnny the repair because just out of the goodness of his heart. And he kind of slides it off with the excuse of, oh, my guys need experience working on older cars, which is whatever. Like Johnny's mm -hmm. totally being this, this, this type of he's guy. He's being stoic to the end. Absolutely. And he's not just being stoic. He's being prideful. You know, he's like, well, I, don't, I don't need your charity. And Daniel's like, listen, you know, now Daniel's sent his, his two lackeys away and they're talking, you know, person to person, man to man. And you can tell mm -hmm. that Johnny's ashamed that Daniel LaRusso is having to help him out. And then he goes off to say, hang on, I got to get you something. Because, of course, everyone who shops at LaRusso Automotive, everyone who buys gets their very own bonsai tree. Bonsai tree. And at that moment, a girl runs up to Daniel LaRusso and we see it is the girl from the back seat. Yes. From the SUV. Samantha LaRusso, played by Mary Mauser. So now Johnny's finally putting all the pieces together in his head, or at least the way he sees them, which is the universe has conspired to make Daniel his mortal enemy his mortal yet, yet again. Daniel is to blame for everything. Daniel has been there at all of his low points the last couple of days. Yep. And he still remembers that crane kick to the face. And Daniel's even the reason that he, his car was totaled at all, because that girl happened to be in the backseat. They do such a good job of like showing how... 
emotions are contagious and this misunderstanding, mm-hmm. the combination of like contagious emotion and misunderstanding can cause the most ridiculous things to happen. Exactly. And and so now Johnny's like, oh, screw it. I'm not even going to wait for this, this bonsai tree. I'm going to get the hell out of here. And he, he doesn't make it out before... Daniel runs over with the bonsai tree. And then he's like, and hey, listen, you know, I don't have any hard feelings for what happened back in the day. It was, that wasn't you. Mm-hmm. That was Cobra Kai. We're all better off without it. Trying to be gregarious. He's like, yeah, he's... All that stuff in which you showed you had the touch, all those ways in which you actually demonstrated your excellence, that wasn't... That was bad shit. That was Cobra Kai. Yeah, that was Cobra Kai. And Johnny very cruelly dumps the bonsai tree in the parking lot puts on his Ray-Bans because that's his reaction, right? To try to be badass again. Yeah. Cut to back at the apartment complex. Johnny walks straight (laughs) up to Miguel and he's like, Are you ready? I'm going to teach you the style of karate that was taught to me. I'm going to teach you how to awaken the snake within you. And, you know, Miguel's like, You're going to be my karate teacher. Johnny's like, No. I'm going to be your sensei. And so we get this montage, right, of Johnny preparing the the dojo he's he's mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. taken over the the vacant space yep. in the same mini mart where Nestor has his convenience store he funds it by reassembling the check from his stepdad that he that he pridefully tore up earlier in the episode Sid, who i also just want to say is ed asner and uh using his handyman skills everything's tying together he stencils the the cobra kai ethos on the wall that's right strike first strike hard no mercy i'm still waiting to find out who makes the cobra graphics because i can't imagine johnny having the patience to paint a cobra on the wall oh i thought he just copied off of his old uh karate gi oh that's probably true and anyway but still then he also like Pulls out his black headband. Mm-hmm. He's, he's no longer scruffy. No he's longer now, the Unabomber. Yeah, he's now lean, mean, and ready to be your sensei. That's right. That's right. Would you Would you accept Johnny as your sensei at this point? You know, I do not accept Johnny as my personal sensei. Oh, I see. Okay. I think Johnny Johnny is more the guy who I would be trying to help who would eventually ruin my life because I kept trying to help him and he kept being angry. Johnny Lawrence has had the worst day ever. His own personality traits have contributed to that. He still has, you know, a primal wound or whatever from mm-hmm. from his his failed fight with Daniel LaRusso. And Daniel LaRusso's success is whacking him in the face. So it's clear that he's going to need to put it on somebody. Might as well open Cobra Kai as an upraised middle finger at Daniel so he can reawaken the snake within him. So, Jenny, mm-hmm. what did you think of this episode? To be honest, the first time I saw this episode, I wanted to keep watching, but I didn't enjoy it because I, although I was amused to see the bully sunk so low that Johnny's life is so hard now, Zabka is a charismatic actor and Johnny, one would have hoped that Johnny would have been okay after that. And it made me sad because Johnny, you know, did have the goodwill towards Daniel at the end Mm -hmm. to see that Johnny is all too human and that he's suffering. Yeah. And it was also really hard for me to watch the first time I saw it, because it's hard to see Daniel not understanding Johnny. Because they were simpatico at the end of The Karate Kid, it's hard to think, oh man, yeah, like that is life. Sometimes you move on and you become insensitive and you some aspects about you don't change in ways that you don't know yet. And that, that can cause you trouble. I wanted to see more of Daniel too, like which I'm about to get my wish because of episode two. Yeah, no, now I love it because I know what's going to happen. And I put it on all the time. Because I, uh, there are some scenes in it where I never fail to just burst out laughing. Having seen this probably you know over ten times now, yeah, and I, I just think it's the bomb. What about you? 
I loved it. I mean, it's very difficult for me to kind of separate it. Like, because I watched the Karate Kid movies and Cobra Kai so close together in time. It's it's hard for me to not see it as all one continuity. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know it's intended to be, but that's not how people experienced it. Seeing it as one continuity, I'm just so pleased in the way that it works. And the writers for this show are very smart in the sense that they were able to clearly take these little things that we see in the Karate Kid and extrapolate them out. And, like, everyone's character rings true because of it. Even though Johnny is down on his luck, he's still very much the prideful, maybe even still a bit arrogant in his way. Even though Daniel, in many ways, has everything that he's ever wanted out of life, in a lot of ways, he's still very earnest, and, like, he lets the, his, uh, his need to, um, his need to please people and his need to make things right, he still lets that take control of him sometimes. All this stuff carries forward in a way that makes sense, and then will also turn on itself again to create drama as this series moves forward. Exactly. Yeah, so I th- so yeah, I think it's a really strong start. I think it's a really a uh, great way a great way to kick off a new series as a pilot. I think it makes sense. It tells you everything you need to know about our two main characters. Yeah, and- it, one other thing uh, there, the, the one other thing that occurred to me is like Mr. Miyagi agrees to help Daniel because he knows that Daniel's life is going to get worse, but. This is in some way Johnny committing the original sin of this show. Mm-hmm. His heart is good, and he has a form of care mm-hmm. for people that he doesn't readily acknowledge or speak aloud and doesn't know it himself. The motivation that he feels and he's like getting high on for saying, come on, Miguel, let's go train, is not to help Miguel, but it's to make himself feel badass Right after Daniel does this. And I think that it's interesting to think about the difference and why Johnny opening this dojo is not going to be a straightforward path to redemption. Yeah. Because his reasons for doing it are caught up in his unresolved past. As we march inevitably uh, towards season (laughs) two, I can't wait to see how this stuff plays out. Uh, So that wraps it up for our Ace Degenerate recap. We will pick up next time with Cobra Kai Episode 2, Strike First, uh, where we will uh, get to see things from Daniel's perspective. So uh, until then, uh, I've been Colin Kennedy. Jenny Carlson. We'll see you around the Miyagiverse. This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Kennedy and Jenny Carlson. You can find us online at areyoukaratekiddingme.com and wherever you download podcasts.